if you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. To the Protestant evangelical mind, a lot of Catholic practices just look weird. Holy water, statues, candles, candles in front of statues, processions or parades carrying statues, crucifixes and rosaries and relics. It all looks either eccentric or superstitious or primitive. Or if you're a Protestant who takes a less benign view of Catholicism, it looks like idolatry and paganism and the occult. It all sort of looked that way to me at one time when I was deeply entrenched in Reformed theology. But as I approached the Catholic Church on my road to Rome, I began to find all of this more poignant or sweet or pious. I have friends in Austin, Texas, which is a pretty eccentric town, almost as eccentric as Boulder, Colorado, where I went to college. And I used to love a t-shirt that they had down there that said, Keep Austin Weird. Well, as I considered Catholicism, I began to find all of these pious devotional practices with blessed objects sort of wonderful. And after I entered the church, I reacted to those credo-Catholics I met who wanted to leave them behind to become more like evangelicals by thinking, Keep Catholicism Weird. Corey Lakatos, who's a regular guest on this podcast, felt the same things as he was entering the church, and we used to talk a lot about it before and after we converted. So, we sat down to talk about all these Catholic objects and devotional practices, which have a name, sacramentals. Not sacraments, sacramentals. So, Corey, when I was a Protestant or an evangelical, Mm -hmm. one of the things that seemed weird about Catholics, I mean, weird, and we would talk about, you know, weird Catholic stuff. (laughs) And I know you and I sometimes, you know, kind of revel in that a little bit. Because there's stuff that... (laughs) Keep Catholicism weird. (laughs) Yeah, keep Catholicism weird. There's stuff that is, just seems kind of weird. But now on the other side of the Tiber River, it's kind of like wonderfully weird. It makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's kind of... You know, but anyway, one of the things that's weird are all of these objects uh, and sometimes uh, devotions that Catholics have that to the Protestant mind, whether it's a sort of a traditional mainline Protestant um, worldview or perhaps a more uh, contemporary American evangelical worldview, mm. just seem super weird. So, for example, uh, holy water and... Uh, crucifixes mm-hmm. and um, 
uh, statues of saints and medals and all of these kinds of things. You can probably come up with some other examples. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and maybe some kinds like kind of weird devotions associated with those. Um, visiting the relics of a saint. Mm-hmm. Um, going on a procession, uh, doing these kinds of things. They just seem kind of odd and, and strange and alien to that Protestant or that evangelical mind. Mm-hmm. And the fires of that have been stoked over the years by uh, evangelical or fundamentalist preachers who say that Catholics are into magic or they treat things like these are almost occult objects. You've heard yeah. this stuff. Yeah, or, or flat out calling it idolatry. Um, mm-hmm. And that goes all the way back to the, the original Protestant reformers. Right, right. I mean, Calvin and Luther blasted all of this stuff that you were taking a devotion that should be given only to the word of God and, and, and distributing it to all these things. And, and then they, there's a whole mythology that got invented around this about how mm-hmm. the Catholic church was, was essentially uh, kind of pagan or had pagan origins because what it, the, the logic is that uh, Constantine, the Roman emperor, became a Christian, nominal Christian, and then the mm-hmm. Romans just took all of and then subsequently the the Celts and the Germanic peoples or whatever took all of their sort of pagan folk practices and just brought them into the church. And so there's this huge suspicion for all of these Catholic devotions to these objects and, and whatnot that, that it's basically kind of, you know, pagan and occultish and yeah. bizarre. And so I, I want to talk about that today because actually all of those objects, they, they have a name mm-hmm. uh, within Catholic theology. Right. And there's an entire um, logic and um, doctrine behind them and theology behind them. And, and really, uh, there's uh, the church has put regulations in place and, mm-hmm. and, and things regarding them. So why don't you lead off a little bit and talk about what all of these objects are sort of called in. Before you do that, tell me a little bit about how you approached it. Because how, how was it for you growing up as a Lutheran to sort of approach all of those 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 things was it as alien and weird from your perspective well yeah it certainly was odd it was not something that we practiced um even a more magisterial protestant tradition like lutheranism doesn't have like we didn't have statues we didn't really have um much religious imagery we we had um objects that were devotional in nature and we can talk about that um a little bit later but yeah the things that catholics did um, rosaries and statues and, and holy water and all of that was alien and foreign. It, it seemed like some kind of weird pagan holdover. Um, but I have to admit that as I was starting to approach Catholicism, look into it, think about it more, that those kinds of things did have an attraction to me because of the, the basic principle of the incarnation um, that's fundamental to all Orthodox forms of Christianity, but I think is, is really lived out and practiced in Catholicism in a, in a very full way, is that the way that God approaches us is through, through our own human nature, through, and we are both body and spirit. Um, so objects, physical things are a way that, that we can approach God or, or that he approaches us. This is the principle of the sacraments, that there are these uh, physical things, actions, rites of the church instituted by Jesus directly that 
God gives us his grace through, um, that are, are privileged moments where we encounter him. Um, and that was a very attractive idea to me. It, it made sense. It, it kind of was a more comprehensive way of worshiping God with my whole human nature rather than it simply being a, an intellectual and emotional thing. Those, those intellect and emotion are, need to be involved, but, but the body and, um, and the fullness of, of the human person. So as I started to investigate Catholicism, things like beads in the rosary or pilgrimages or processions or holy water, the, the, they started to seem more and more attractive to me and they started to make more and more sense because they, they fit into that whole overarching way that, that God um, kind of lowers himself, Christ lowered himself to become man in order to, to meet us. Yeah, I, 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 every, what, what you said, I would also add to that mm-hmm. kind of from an experiential standpoint of approaching Catholicism, that at a certain point as I was getting closer to um, becoming Catholic, I had this epiphany that these kinds of objects were not unique sure. to Catholicism. Sure. And I don't just mean that they were present in paganism, but they were present in evangelicalism. So I would go into a Christian bookstore Mm -hmm. and I would see all of these devotional products, right? So there were crosses and statues of Jesus and statues of St. Paul. And there were, you know, all of these little statuary things and there were paintings and there was the footsteps thing and there, you know, Mm -hmm. thing that you'd hang on your wall and they would have like a quilt that had Bible verses on it. And, you know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. this endless amount of these, you know, jewelry and objects and all this stuff. And they were sometimes affectionately called Jesus junk. Yep, I've heard and that. And they were a huge driver. It's like when I worked in Christian publishing at a certain point as book sales began to decline, you would take maybe 70% of the floor space in a, in a Christian bookstore and the revenue was being driven off the floor space, not by the books, which were you know, on a few shelves in the back, but Mm -hmm. by selling all these objects. And I remember as I was getting closer to Catholicism, I went, wait a minute, we have all of these devotional things and that's what it's called. They're just called devotional objects. Mm -hmm. The other thing was that I, there were not relics, so to speak, but, but people would go to the Holy Land, for example, and they'd they'd come back and they'd go, look, I have some water from the river Jordan and I got it for you in this little jar or something. And then I'm supposed to put it on my, I mean, it did, but I mean, you know, put it on your bookshelf or uh, some sand from, you know, we went out Mount, Mount Tabor or something like that, you mm-hmm. know, where the transfiguration happened. Like I got you these things. And so I began to think, you know, that that sense of having devotional objects wasn't necessarily unique. No, I don't think it's unique at all. I think it's just part of human nature. I mean, it, you can try to engineer it out, but I think it always creeps back in. You see it in, in all forms of Christianity to one degree or another. You see right. it in other religions. Right. And it became in some sense, um, at least within the evangelical world, it, it became more a matter of vocabulary mm-hmm. that if you called them sacramentals or you called them whatever, but if you said, and, and we'll get in this in a minute here, their origin. Um, so it was one thing to have sand from the Holy land. It was another thing to have holy water breasts blessed by a priest. Sure. Or but water it, from Lords or yeah. Right. Yeah. But at one level, that sense of having devotional objects was not unique. It was the nature of those objects and their source. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little about that. Yeah. What is the nature? How do we define? So what's the term, uh, for these things? Yeah. So, um, the term is sacramentals, um, mm-hmm. which is 
distinct from the sacraments, the seven sacraments. Uh, so a sacrament was specifically instituted personally by Jesus Christ, um, and he directly gives us his grace through those rites. And there are in Catholicism. There are seven. Seven, because yep. there are seven that can be identified from the New Testament as being instituted by right. Christ. Absolutely. Um, and then a sacramental is is instituted by the church. So through Christ's power, the church being Christ's body, um, but instituted by the church and, um, and not efficacious in the way that a sacrament is. Um, So sacramentals um, draw us to the sacraments. They draw us, they can have the the power to draw us to God if we have faith. Um, But it's not in the same way where, if, if you're being baptized validly, you're going to receive that grace and that gift of God. Um, a, a sacramental object or, or devotion isn't, the nature is not exactly the same as that, but it is something that can help or aid our devotion to God. Right. I, I think the way the church puts this in various doctrinal formulations, uh, one is that the sacraments are efficacious signs of grace right. instituted by God. They are efficacious, meaning that they are efficient. They, they make mm. grace happen. They do the thing. They yep. do the thing. Where the sacramentals bear resemblance to the sacraments. Mm-hmm. They don't do that, but they, they hearken to it. And I think the, what that means in, in practical terms is the way that the sacraments use or impact or intersect the physical world uh, efficaciously. So if you think about... Um, uh, God working through the bread and the wine or mm. God working through the waters of baptism. In sacramentals, we take things, objects, water, this, that, uh, and we utilize them, but God isn't necessarily working through them. Our faith is being channeled right. or focused upon them. And another thing that the church specifies is that one of the differences is that the sacramentals are for private devotion. Right. In other words, uh, the church gives us the sacraments. We as people then focus our devotion in certain practices and Mm -hmm. objects. Right. It's not part of the liturgy. It's not the action of the whole church, but it is a gift of the church to us to aid our devotion. I think holy water, which you alluded to, is is probably the prime example because, of course, it reminds us of our baptism and can focus our faith and aid our devotion to remember the, the graces, the gift that God has given us in the sacrament. Um, but it's not as if we're rebaptizing ourselves right. when, when we bless ourselves with holy water. Um, it, it reminds us it, it can um, increase and, and aid our faith, but it's not efficacious in the way that baptism is. So let's stay on this point for just a second to, to dispel the misunderstandings. Mm-hmm. So there's a Latin phrase, which we don't need to get into now, but but basically that the thing doesn't have power in itself. Right. Right. So whether that's the rosary or the statue or the relic. Right. Or, it's not magic. Yeah. It's not magic. It's not a magic object. Um, what it is, is it, it's power. If it has power, it comes from two sources. Mm-hmm. Right. What are those two sources? Because I, I know you don't. Yeah. One would be your faith um, mm-hmm. in God. And the other would be the, the authority of the church um, right. that is giving this gift to you out of the treasury of, of Christ's merits. Right. So, for example, let's take the example you just gave of holy water. Mm-hmm. Explain how that works in terms of it's water. Right. It's water that has been blessed. Um, and so that's one of the main sacramentals or, or sacramental objects are typically blessed by a priest. And in many instances, although not all, 
uh, it is it 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 is water from the baptismal font. Yes, often it is. Um, and so it's been blessed, um, which means that it has been um, formally set apart as holy for the purposes of God, and you use it um, in a blessing um, for yourself. So you typically you would dip your finger in it and make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that would be a way for you to remember your baptism and for um, the, the church to, to remind you of it. So the water itself has, is not magic water. No. But as you say, the, to the extent that it has spiritual potency, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. in our lives, to the extent that it has some, it conveys some grace to us, comes from basically two different directions. Right. One is the church says, focus your devotion on this. Right. Here is some water. We're, in a sense, blessing it, consecrating it, declaring it to be, you know, holy, set, holy, set aside for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And that purpose is for you to recall your baptism in the grace of Christ when you utilize it. Right, exactly. And then the other side of that is you utilize it mm-hmm. in faith. Right. Right. Um, you and I were talking before we started the recording about um, during the Jubilee years, which mm-hmm. every 25 years the Pope declares a Jubilee, unless he declares a special yes, year of Jubilee. Extraordinary Jubilee. Extraordinary Jubilee, which he, uh, Pope Francis did in 1986. Uh, uh, oh, excuse me, <laughs> 2016. And the reason that I got that confused is that... Um, did John Paul... No, no. My wife and I uh, were married in 1986. Oh. And uh, for our 30th anniversary, we went to Rome for the um, special Jubilee year. Okay. And uh, so that was kind of our 30th anniversary present to ourselves. And we went to Rome, and that's why I just got confused, the 86 and the yeah, <laughs> yeah. 2016, because that was a huge, huge year for us. And I was like, wow, it's 30 years. And, and we were actually at St. Peter's uh, on our anniversary day. Okay. So we just had timed it out so that on the 30th anniversary, on the day, on that afternoon, we were there. And um, we got to do some very special things. We got to go down, take the Scavi tour down to see uh, Peter's bones. Mm. But the other thing is, is that we went through the Jubilee doors. Right, right. And so there are these doors, and Pope Francis had declared that not only the doors of St. Peter's, but the doors of every cathedral uh, in, in the world mm-hmm. uh, would funcus, focus as Jubilee doors. Now, maybe you could explain this. I, I did it. It was powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they weren't magic doors. Right, right. So why don't you explain how something like that focuses, works as a sacramental? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did that as well in, in 2016 uh, at the cathedral in Grand Rapids. And, and so this is, again, something that focuses our faith, um, is, a, is a way for us to show our devotion to Christ, to enact our prayer. Um, so with those doors, um, it was um, connected with an indulgence. We can probably talk about indulgences another time if you haven't already with Ed. Um, but uh, so there were um, the typical um, spiritual practices um, that you're required to do um, with an indulgence. Okay, so slow down yeah. a little bit. So okay. for, for people who are considering Catholicism, aren't right. Catholic, don't throw up that too quickly. Okay. okay. So let's stay on this. The, the Pope declares that if you go through the doors of a cathedral anywhere in the world uh, or a Basilica, because St. Peter's is a, a cathedral. Mm-hmm. But in any case, that when you step through these doors, what what was given? What was the grace that was given, or the the, the what is this indulgence thing that was given? Yeah, it was a, it was the grace of um, remission of of temporal punishment for sins, um, which is what an indulgence typically is, and so it, it was an expression of God's mercy. 
Um, and that wasn't as if when you walked through the doors, the doors magically took away your sin. Um, you were um, instructed to to go to confession, to to be contrite. So were there were things that you did mm-hmm. in preparation exactly. for it. So walk so to to that point, walk mm-hmm. through how that is. So I go and I confess my sin. Right. And I go to mass mm-hmm. and I worship God with sincerity and faith. Yes. And 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 then with deep sincerity and faith, asking God for his mercy. I step through this door and it becomes an act on my part right. to express my desire for God's mercy. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yep. That, that is how it works. So that's the side of the sacramental that is from my side. Mm-hmm. The sacramental from the church's side is? Was making that available to me. Was, and was, declaring that right. time and place. Mm-hmm. That if you come here at this time and place uh, and, and come here with true, true penitence, um, and, and truly seeking God's mercy at this time, at this place, at this location, then a grace is, is given to you. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yep. And, you know, before anyone who's listening to this goes, oh my gosh, that's, you know, crazy if you're an evangelical. How is that, you know, particularly different than, say, in the evangelical world where you would declare, come to this revival meeting? Yeah, or an altar call. An altar call. Yeah, come down on the altar call or in the number of times that I went to revivals or a revival tent, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that was a whole big part of evangelicalism's emergence was going and doing the tent revivals and mm-hmm. the camp meetings. Come to the camp meeting. We declare this space to be, and they would use that language. This is sacred space. This is sacred ground. Come mm-hmm. here, you know, ask for forgiveness of your sins and it will be right. given. It's a sort of privileged opportunity or place. Right. That. So in, in a sense, it's really not that unique. The uniqueness comes not so much from the devotion, but that the church authorizes it. Talk right. a little bit about that, about maybe the resistance to the notion that the church has the power to do this. Yeah, well, of course, there's a difference in ecclesiology between Catholics and, and Protestants, especially evangelicals, where as Catholics, we, we understand that the church is of course, the body of Christ and that he has set up a, a structure of authority and of hierarchy um, that we are subject to our bishops as the successors of the apostles. And then the, the Pope is um, the, the servant of the servants of Christ. He is his Christ's vicar on earth. And so he has authority. Um, and so we, we understand that because he has been given the keys of the kingdom um, to, to bind and to loose on earth and in heaven, that he has the authority from Christ and through Christ in order to do something like establish a sacramental or, um, or to, to proclaim a jubilee or these kinds of things, where in evangelicalism or in, in Protestantism in general, there isn't an authority that, that is established and that is universally recognized in order to do that. Someone can kind of declare on their own authority, um, appealing to God that they can do this if they're the, the revival preacher or whatnot, or the person, the individual Christian on their own initiative can go down to that bookstore, um, and buy the piece of Jesus junk or whatnot, um, and put it on their wall and, and call it good. And, and there's, that's not a bad thing. No, in, it's not in, a bad thing. And, and I just want to say to anyone who's yeah. listening, who has a house full of these objects, <laughs> I have I, that kind of, thing. <laughs> I had a house full of these objects. Yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of in jest. We would just talk about those products, but I mean, mm-hmm. uh, devotional objects are super important. I've always been super important to me. My, mm-hmm. how, my, when I was 
first became a Christian in college, I had, you know, Jesus posters on my wall and the whole bit. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Or people wearing crosses around their necks, whether it's crucifix or WWJD bracelets. Bracelets. Yes. That was big back in the day. Well, here, here's Um, one. Let me give you this where I think you're going with this is the notion of that people do it on their own merits. So one of the things that was huge in, uh, kind of the Jesus evangelical movement that, that I came out of originally when I became a Christian was they, uh, if you had the opportunity to go, they wouldn't say a pilgrimage, but if you had the opportunity mm-hmm. to go to Israel, sure. to go to the Holy Land, and then you would go to the River Jordan mm-hmm. and you would get rebaptized in the River Jordan. That's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And people would come back and go, I just, you know, I sort of rededicated myself to Christ and I, you know, and I, my first baptism was great, but man, I, sat, I wanted to be baptized where Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan. And I feel like it was just a more profound baptism. And, you know, theologically, you know, that's kind of interesting and weird because, you know, obviously, well, did your first baptism not stick? Right. It's essentially treating baptism like a sacramental rather than like a sacrament. Exactly. And it's, it's basically doing that on your own authority, mm-hmm. which, which, and the missing component there, right, the difference in that and the doors of Jubilee would be if I, you went to the cathedral or you went to Rome or whatever and you, you know, went through this Jubilee door thing. It wasn't in that sense different than the person who says, I'm going to go to Israel and go get myself rebaptized at the River Jordan in the sense I want to do an extraordinary act of devotion. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is that on the Catholic side, the church, um, ordains that. Yeah. In, invites us to it. Yeah. Well, and not only invites it, but, but invests it. Right. Right. Like by, uh, by the authority of the church and the authority of the apostles and mm-hmm. the, 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 you say the treasury of, of sort of merit with Christ, right? The, the, the treasury of the church's prayer says, yes, this, if you want to do an extraordinary act of devotion, this here now, we invite you to do that. Mm-hmm. There are uh, in the church, uh, the catechism specifies three sort of types or categories of, of, uh, of sacramentals. Um, you want to talk about those? Yeah. So we already mentioned blessings. Um, that's a big one. Um, and that would be associated with a lot of the physical objects that you would see as sacramentals. So a blessing in short is an official prayer of the church that sets something aside as holy for the use of the faithful, um, uh, to aid their devotion or simply to be set aside for God. So you have blessings of things like pets or motorcycles or, or what have you, um, where, you know, your dog may not necessarily draw your mind to God, right. maybe sometimes the opposite. Um, but, but Christ claims everything and blesses everything and is renewing all things. And so the church prays blessings over various things in order to, to do that. Um, well, and, and right. And I mean, that is, there's a, there's a theology behind that, mm-hmm. which is that God wants us, the Lord wants to make all things new. Right. Yeah. And he's redeeming sense, all he's of redeeming, creation. Right. So it, 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 what it is, is it's saying, look, you know, this, like, for example, um, when you move into a new home, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've, we've had, um, you know, our, our priest come in and bless our home. Yep. We did as well. And, you know, honestly, when I was a, an evangelical pastor, I had people come in who want me to pray over their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the language was different. Mm-hmm. It wasn't blessed because we didn't have that sort of vocabulary that you had the power to bless something, but you would come and pray over their right. house or their mm-hmm. new home. So it is coming and, and taking that home and saying, you know, let the Lord be here. Let it be special to God. And, and, and some of this just becomes, I think, a difference in vocabulary. Right. Sure. But also a notion of the difference of the power of the pastor that he's not backed up by the church. 
And so if I came and I said a nice prayer and quoted some Bible verses, they would say, oh, that great. You know, the Lord is now in our house mm-hmm. um, versus the priest who comes and says, by the power invested me of the church, I pray over this house. Right, right. And then, like you say, you have the, the blessings of the pets and the blessings of the food and the blessings and, of and the holy, holy water, of course, is blessed. Um, in some cultures, you see blessed salt, um, which is used um, in various um, devotional practices. So there's lots of things um, that fit into that category. Yeah. And I think, the, I think these are some of the things that trip um, up non-Catholics mm-hmm. because they say, well, now you have all these weird, holy Catholic things, Catholic salt. Uh, Catholic, you know, it just occurred to me, I never really thought of this before, but um, when you think of kosher salt or you think of oh, rendering, yeah. rendering things kosher, um, part of that was it, it needed to be of a certain type, but also it needed to be uh, prayed over um, by, a, by a rabbi. Mm-hmm. And so when you buy kosher salt or kosher whatever, it's, it has a particular specification for the ingredients, but it also has been, in a sense, blessed by sure, a rabbi. Sure. So the, the notion of blessing objects and, and asking God to make these objects special or set aside for God is, is, is really not unique. No, no. Okay, so one category yeah. of sacramentals so that, are all of these objects. Right, blessings. Second. Um, the second one is exorcisms, which we could have a whole long conversation about exorcisms. Okay, yeah, and I, that's probably a whole episode right. in and of itself. So say just a couple of sentences about that. Yeah. So in, in very brief exorcism would be, so if, if blessing is claiming something for God, setting it apart as holy exorcism is explicitly by the authority of the church, casting out the evil one, um, and, and basically reclaiming something, um, for Christ. What, and that could be all the way up, you know, the chain to demonic possession. Um, but plenty of, of, you know, lower, um, level exorcisms. There's an exorcism before baptism to simply um, claim someone for Christ um, yeah. to drive out the evil one. We're going to need a whole, do yeah, a whole episode on exorcism. That, that can be a big conversation. But, you just, but the, the key point you made there is it, it is a little bit akin to the first one mm-hmm. I heard you point out that in a sense you're, you're claiming something. And, you know, we go back to the passages where Jesus casts demons out of people in the gospels. Mm-hmm. And now that that demon has left that person. And there's two things going there. One is sort of the battle with the demon, which is what most people think of as exorcism. But mm-hmm. the more sort of important point is that that person has now been made clean. Right. Or, right, they've been restored. And so the, the exorcisms fall into that sacramental category partly because, in a sense, you're, you're as you just put it, reclaiming yeah. and making that space holy again. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. So... The third category. Yeah. The third category is what you might call popular practices or devotional practices. Um, so there's a lot that could fit into this category. We can talk about um, uh, like the praying the rosary or um, processions or pilgrimages or different types of um, things that you do um, that can be an aid to devotion and that the church specifically by her authority um, implements and and well, sanctions. And one of them you see all the time, uh, whether that's in the mass or um, in daily life or when a, um, a Catholic uh, baseball player steps up to bat, they make the sign of the cross. Yeah, yeah. And making the sign of the cross is, in Catholicism, actually a sacramental because mm-hmm. it is a, it's a devotional practice. Right, it's an enacted prayer. Yeah, it's an enacted prayer where we're recalling our baptism in the Holy Trinity and, and sort of, in a sense marking ourselves with that. And mm-hmm. by the way, ter- the f- church father Tertullian in the year 210 or whatever it was, early 200s, mm-hmm. noted that 
the making the sign of the cross was already an ancient practice at his time. Right. So by the year, uh, the year 200, it was already considered ancient. You know, very well have got the time of the apostles that people naturally make sort of a sign of the cross on themselves mm-hmm. um, to sort of mark themselves as Christians. And in that sense, is that different than putting the Jesus fish on your car? No. Yeah. Right. Or the WWJD bracelet uh, on your arm. So, so you have practices like making the sign of the cross or kneeling before a crucifix mm-hmm. or I know there's a couple things that you uh, uh, have been particularly uh, interested in and in, in instituting it at, uh, at Lane and Arlay the Lake and things. And that is the, the processions you want to talk about. Yeah. That yeah. So definitely at our, at our parish, that's something I've been champion championing. Um, so there are some that are very naturally built into the, the, church year, the liturgical cycle. So like Corpus Christi processions, which are, um, with, with the Eucharist, um, it's a form of devotion where, what is a procession? Yeah. So, so a procession is, is simply, um, walking together as a group. It's a kind of symbolic pilgrimage. So typically it would start kind of at like a, a church. Like a parade. Yeah, essentially. Um, but but a holy parade. <laughs> so no, no clowns, no guys on unicycles. Um, it, it's So it typically would start at a church and then either process out and then back to the same church or often to a different church at a different location. Um, there are often stops along the way for prayers. Um, if it's a Eucharistic procession with the Eucharist and the monstrance, those are often places where uh, the priest will bless the people with the Eucharist, um, a practice called benediction. Um, and so it, it's a very symbolic practice, but um, essentially it, it's enacting the fact that we are, are, our um, life together as Christians is a journey that we're making from here to heaven, to the home of the Father. Um, with Christ with us, with the saints with us. Um, you'll often see processions where um, people are carrying uh, statues or banners of the Blessed Mother or of other saints um, that have a, an, importance, an importance to, um, to that parish or community. Um, and so it's, it's a way for people to, uh, to live out their devotion in a very tangible and also very communal way. Yeah. Uh, so... So that really kind of covers the gamut of these things. They are objects, as you say, blessed mm-hmm. objects. Um, they are, and we'll kind of skip over the exorcism thing, because I, I think the exorcism thing, like I said, deserves its own episode. Yeah. I, I think that when you classify an exorcism as a sacramental, it, it's kind of a technical definition of, of, of what an exorcism is. Mm-hmm. It, there's, there's more, it's a bigger topic. Oh, sure. Absolutely. But, but for, <laughs> and most people don't have exorcisms. So for all practical purposes, the ordinary Catholic experiences them as either blessed objects uh, or places mm-hmm. or whatnot, or particularly pr- particular practices, everything from making the sign of the cross to doing a procession or a pilgrimage, which distinguishes a pilgrimage from just a trip mm-hmm. because it is something that you're doing devotionally. It's not just that I want to go to Rome. You're not um, just sightseeing. I'm not yeah. just sightseeing. I may want to go to Rome or the Holy Land or whatever to see it, but going there with the expectation, the prayerful expectation that, you know, God's going to work in my life and, you know, asking God to, um, you know, bless me and, and help that be transformative in my life is an act of devotion and makes the, a pilgrimage sort of a form of sacramental. Right, right, right. Um, so that really kind of covers it. And a lot of it looks... I think a lot of it looks weird to outsiders because some of these things are ancient. Some of them are ancient. They're also um, cultural because yep. um, the church has the authority in order to, to institute things that 
feel natural and feel right to different people at different times and places as right. long as they're in accord with the teachings of Christ. Um, and so you see different sacramentals kind of rise and fall in popularity over the ages or in different places, different ones mm -hmm. are, are more popular than others. Um, so that's one reason they can feel foreign or another is simply like you said, there's a, both a, a understanding gap and a terminology gap um, between Catholics and evangelicals and, and others in our society where they, they may very well use devotional objects and, and not think twice about it. Um, but why they do it or under what authority um, is, is different or is not a, not an issue that they explicitly discuss. Yeah, and that's where that sort of ecclesiology issue comes in that there is, I think in Protestantism and, and evangelicalism, a sort of pushback or resentment of, of it being done by the institutional church. Mm -hmm. It's one thing if people decide to go to Israel and get rebaptized in the Jordan. If, it's another thing if people decide to go to a camp meeting or come down on an altar call. It's another thing if people decide to do these things. Mm -hmm. It's a whole other thing to say that there's an institutional church led by a pope in Rome who, te who tells you that this is okay. And I think there's just, there is an ecclesiology, there's a, a gap in sort of the doctrine or theology of the church that's different, but at a certain level too, there's a sort of um, cultural difference. I think what came out of the Reformation and came out of um, the American experience is a sort of consumer or individualist notion that, yeah. that there's no some institution that can tell me what to do. Right. Which is kind of ironic in a way, because I mean, one of the main... Um sort of uh, objections to uh, the Catholic Church leveled by the early reformers was what they saw as abuses of popular devotions mm -hmm. and of sacramentals. And, and of course, people are human, people are yep. sinful. Those kinds of things can and have arisen at different times, but that's the very reason why you need the authority of the church and the oversight of the church to keep those things exactly. from getting out of hand and keeping them from getting disconnected from the sacraments and from the authentic orthodoxy and orthopraxis of the church. Well, exactly. And it was, and historically, it was exactly that after the Reformation that at the Council of Trent, the mm -hmm. church said, well, you know, some things have gone haywire. And even to this day, the bishops and the popes will say some things have gotten haywire and say, mm -hmm. this is sort of approved and this is disapproved right. if something is, is unhealthy. So um, great, great explanation. Uh, give you the last word on sacramentals, Corey. Yeah. Um, I would say if, if you're not sure about it, um, think about what you have in your own life. Um, that is an aid to devotion. Um, that that's a good way to, uh, approach the subject to begin with. Um, and then things like, like holy water, um, that, uh, all, all Christians are baptized. Um, and so that's an, an easy and I think less, threatening sort of sort of thing to to begin approaching the the whole general concept yeah you know it never occurred to me until just the moment ago that when someone w would bring me um as a gift uh holy uh, water from the jordan river where they you know you buy i guess there's little tour stands there you, know, sure, you can sure. buy a little you know a container of water from the jordan where jesus was baptized but in a sense that's holy water Right. Mm -hmm. And they, 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 they sort of think of it as holy water. This is water from the Jordan where Jesus was baptized. It's special, mm -hmm. you know, and we can focus our devotion on it. So anyway, great, 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 great. Um, we'll come back and talk more about exorcism and yeah. some of these things and, uh, and good stuff. But thanks, Corey. Okay. Yep. Sounds good.
thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.